You're listening to the Don't Tell My Grandma podcast. So, are you in? Are you in California now? Or yes. Okay. Yep. And last time you mentioned, you said that you you do a few podcasts a day, up to four. Oh, I do. Have you? Yeah, I do five and ten a week. Wow. wow. Is this your first one of today, or have you been doing no, others? I did one today already. Oh, great. Yep. How is the weather over there? Beautiful. Oh, I've been hearing from family members that it's getting really hot, especially mm. in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and places that it shouldn't be that hot. Yeah. But well, I'm ready to go whenever you are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's kick it off. All right. With some music. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to the Don't Tell My Grandma podcast. I am your host, Juan, and I am joined, as always, by my amazingly co-host, amazingly talented and beautiful. Thank you. Wendy, how Aww. are you doing? I'm okay. I'm waking up still, but waking up? doing well. Yeah. <laughs> how are you? I am good. I am ready. Today, we are joined by one of the most talented person and and. and well-educated person I think we've had in the in the podcast so far. Dr. David Silver is a holistic psychologist and health mindset personal development expert. She had had a two times TEDx appearance. She's written written several books. Dr. David Silver is the president of the Post-Betrayal Transformation Institute. She's done a PhD in transpersonal psychology, which is the first time I've heard about that, that uh, Me too. specific subject or specialization. And she's the author of Trust Again, Overcoming Betrayal and Regaining Health, Confidence and Happiness. Dr. David Silver, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Looking forward to our conversation. Yes. Yes, us too. Did we miss anything? Is there anything else you'd like so to add? Accreditations. So many accreditations. <laughs> we'll get. We'll just get right to it as we start. Yes. So, so uh, one of the, uh, I mean, you've written so many books, but the latest book you've written about betrayal has been quite enlightening for me personally. I, I never thought the subject of betrayal was a subject of that required like academic study. And, and boy, I was I wrong. I feel like your story specifically, it's so relatable in some ways, but also because we've all felt some sort of betrayal in some way. So w what made you want to share such a personal story? Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, you know, I think I want to study betrayal. It just doesn't work like I, this is my actually my 30th year in business. And as my life would kind of morph and change. So would business. So I had all kinds of health issues. And so I went down that road and then a stress related symptoms, illness, condition, disease, and followed that path and then trauma. And it was a betrayal from my family. And I, I thought I did the work to heal from that. A couple of years later, it was my husband and anybody who's been through it, you're shocked, you're blindsided. Life as you've known it no longer exists. So I got him out of the house and I, I took a look 
at the two experiences. And I said, okay, well, what's familiar? What's similar to these two? And, and it was me. Not certainly that I caused it or I was, it was my fault, but I never took my own needs seriously. Boundaries were always getting crossed. So here I was, I was 50 years old and four kids and six dogs and a thriving business. And I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm going back for a PhD. It's my turn. And it was in transpersonal psychology, the psychology of transformation and human potential, because I was so, I was so obsessed with transformation. I was doing it and I didn't quite understand it. He was too on his own, wasn't ready to look at that. And then it was time to do a study. So I studied betrayal. What holds us back? What helps us heal? And what happens to us physically, mentally, and emotionally when the people closest to us lie, cheat, and deceive? That study led to three groundbreaking discoveries, which changed my business, my health, my family, my life. Wow, that's amazing. I really commend the fact that like someone with so many, so many things in her hands, like you've had to juggle so many things, especially several crises, you decided to go back to study, which is like not the most trivial thing to do because you were so driven to understand this issue. And in, as, you, as you shared in the book, you said that you wanted to help other people. Yeah, I said, I made a vow. If I'm going to heal from this, I'm taking everybody with me. <laughs> <laughs> did the work start? Did you go into it wanting to help yourself first and then others or were you thinking more of the grand scheme of things yeah it's a great question it, it actually evolved first it was just it was me and my intention was I have to do something to help myself here and I have to take care of my kids and I have to be there for my you know for my clients and I really didn't think past that but for me my greatest value is integrity I mean, I've lived an entire life where it's like, okay, if it's going to hurt someone, don't do it, period, end of story, thinking that's how everybody else lives. So it was, there wasn't one cell of me that was okay with betrayal. And even, and this may sound really selfish, but even healing myself wasn't enough. It felt like it was too big of an injustice and, and healing for myself and, and for my family. And I can share what happened later on that, that was helpful on one level, but it just wasn't enough. I, I, I needed to get this message out and, and think about it. I mean, you make some discoveries, you really can't go back to business as usual. If you don't share what you learned. I mean, I think we're all here to, if we, if we've uncovered something, we've discovered something. I kind of feel like we owe it. We owe it to the world to share it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what was the turning point when you felt like, okay, I, I just need to do more. I need to invest in this journey and help myself start respecting myself. Yeah, it was, it, and, and the respect came right away. And, and that came from getting him out of the house and saying, okay, you know what? I wasn't counting on being a single mom and, and raising these kids and keeping all this going on my own, but that was the deal breaker in here. And here we go. So, uh, and, and, um, what I found, actually, there were three groups in the study who did not heal. And what, one was the group where, where uh, the, they would numb, avoid, distract. So it was so painful. So they used food, drugs, alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, whatever, to numb, avoid, or distract themselves from something that's so painful to feel or face. They didn't heal. 
you know, they'd run to their doctors who put them on a mood stabilizer or anti-anxiety med medication, or they would drink, or they would emotionally eat. And it may have made the day a bit easier to get through, but not without a price. The second group was the group where they just refused to accept their betrayal. You know, they had their story and they were sticking with it. And that's, that's what they were doing. And then there was the third group. And this was the group where the betrayer had very little consequences. So whether it was for religious reasons, and this came up a lot, financial fear, just fear in general, fear of the unknown, not wanting to break up a family, they did their best just to turn the other cheek, put it behind them, whatever it was. And I only saw two things with this, with this group. And it was a further deterioration of the relationship. And by far, this group was the most physically sick. You know, your, your heart can't handle that. So I looked at it saying, you know, I see it's making them so sick and it just didn't feel right for me to just go along with something like this at all. You know, and, and one thing we teach within the PBT Institute though is post-betrayal transformation. That was actually another one of the discoveries. We, it, rebuilding is always a choice, always whether you rebuild yourself and move on. And that's what I did with my family. It just wasn't an option to rebuild anything with them. Or if the situation lends itself, if you're willing, if you want to, you rebuild something entirely new with the person who hurt you. That's what I did with my husband. So not long ago, we actually married each other again. New rings, new vows, new dress, and our four kids is our bridal party. Right, exactly. So what I know that you mentioned in one of your in one of the samples that I read that you don't believe in repairing, but you do believe in rebuilding. What is the difference? People ask me all the time, can trust be repaired? I say no. Can it be rebuilt? Yes. But it's a it's a grueling process. And I look at trust like a brick wall where every opportunity someone has to show that they're trustworthy represents a brick in that brick wall. So this this could take 10, 20, 30 plus years to build. And then the person who builds the wall in one earth shattering moment can just trash the whole thing. Well, the other person can look at the brick wall and say, I don't have the least bit of interest in watching that thing get rebuilt. And, and that's totally fine, walk away. But if you are willing to watch that brick wall be rebuilt, the person whose trust was shattered has to be willing. And the person who shattered the trust has to be a really good bricklayer. Where again, just how it went up the first time, every opportunity they have to show that they're trustworthy is one brick in that brick wall. Right. Would you say that there is a specific trait that you've found on people who have been on the studies that you've done any part of their upbringing that helped them be more successful with overcoming betrayal? Yeah, well, I feel like that's kind of two questions. There's, when we have childhood things that come up, you know, where it's, it could be something as just a belief system that makes us feel, you know, lack, unworthiness, whatever it is. Or we grow up with, let's say, narcissistic parents, for example. We move into these relationships, not because they're good, because they're so familiar. That's one thing. And I also talk about in the book, and I remember reading, it was a study by uh, Sandra Brown and uh, Christian Northrup was the one who I learned this study from. And 
the, the belief in humanity, the sticking by someone, the, the we can do this kind of thing is actually like a super trait. So, so often, you know, people look at someone as like, because they keep trying to make something work with this person as, you know, they're so, uh, they have such a low self-esteem. And very often that's not the case. They have such faith and belief in humanity that they think they can fix, help, heal, you know, someone. So I saw it that way. Um, but I, but to answer uh, your question about what makes someone more likely to heal, I think that's what you were, you know, the question. I, I thought, and you're not supposed to assume anything as a researcher. I mean, I was new at this, but I thought the people who were the hardest hit would grow the least because they had the most to overcome. And that had nothing to do with it, nothing at all. And it was really what it really came down to, the ones who were just willing. They weren't resistant. They just dove in. And that was that was like me. I, I just put my head down and said, I'm not picking it up until I'm out the other side. And those were the ones who healed so much faster than the ones who, you know, medicated, numbed, um, just wouldn't accept their betrayal or, you know, where the betrayer had no consequences. And I talk all about it and trust again. Mm -hmm. I like the emphasis on that, on people who tend to get into these patterns of um, being betrayed, experiencing betrayal. They're the ones who feel like they have a lot to offer. They want to help other people. And I have a friend who has um, recently experienced a lot of toxic relationships where she's felt taken advantage of and betrayed. But I think it's because, like you said, she believes so greatly in humanity. And I think having her hear this conversation, I, I hope that she can take a lot out of it and use that to propel her to work on herself and accept that that's the kind of person she is, but it's not a bad thing. It's a good place to start as long as she's willing and open to do the work. Well, the, and the work is crucial because, I mean, I can spot an unhealed betrayal a mile away. And, you know, we see it in health, we see it in work, we see it in relationships. For example, a repeat betrayal is an unhealed betrayal. We keep getting opportunities in the form of people to give us a profound lesson we need to learn, whether it's that we are lovable, worthy, and deserving, that we need a, need better boundaries in place. And until and unless we get those lessons and we understand it, uh, you know, those opportunities will keep showing up. Like for me, you know, here, I, boundaries kept getting crossed. It was always about everybody else, never took my own needs seriously. And then making such, for me, a drastic decision to go back to school was so drastic, but changed my life. So lesson learned, you know. And then we also see it in relationships where, you know, the other way is the big, you see that, you know, those people where the big wall is up. They're like, nope, been there, done that. No one's getting near my heart again. And they think it's coming from a place of, uh, of um, you know, healing. And it's not, it's coming from a place of pain and fear. So that's an unhealed betrayal. You know, we see it in health all the time. People going, to the most well-meaning doctors, coaches, healers, therapists to manage a stress-related symptom, illness, condition, disease. And at the root of it is an unhealed betrayal. We see it at work all the time where someone wants to ask for that raise or promotion. They deserve it. 
but their confidence was shattered in the betrayal, so they don't have the confidence to ask, and they're bitter and resentful instead. Or they want to be a team player, a collaborative partner, but the person they trusted the most proved untrustworthy. How do they trust that boss, that coworker, that that partner? So it shows up everywhere. Mm. You mentioned in the book that uh, is a a quote that I really really connected with me was our mistakes are learned at the expense of others. And uh, I feel like that's very true, especially for someone who has been both the victim and the victimizer in terms of like my relationships with other people. And I feel like sometimes we put a huge burden on other people to do the emotional work of forgiving. And do you feel like the victims of, of betrayal have also like, is there any particular trait that shows for people who actually come back and also do the actually do the work of uh, getting back that confidence, getting back that trust. Yeah. It, you know, it, well, first of all, I don't really like the word victim because I really see it as such an opportunity. I mean, I have yet to, to find someone stronger than someone who's healed from betrayal because think about it. This was the person, these were the people who gave you a sense of safety and security. So when this is the person, these are the people to shatter that sense of safety and security. I mean, it's terrifying. It also lends itself to the greatest opportunity for transformation. So, you know, I, I see that, I see that all the time. It's a it's a huge opportunity, but it's a tremendous amount of work. And a lot of people just don't, they don't want to do it. You know, that was one thing too. That one of the one of the discoveries was that. Well, originally I was studying, studying something called post-traumatic growth, which is kind of like if you imagine an upside of trauma, how trauma leaves you with a new awareness, perspective, insight you didn't have. Like, let's say you lose someone you love uh, and you're like, you know what? Life is short. You, you realize something like that and and you heal, but you're, you're left with something, a greater insight. And I had been through death of a loved one. I had been through disease, but I was like, you know, betrayal feels different for me. I didn't want to assume, so I asked all my study participants, and I said, if you've been through other traumas, crises, besides betrayal, does it feel different for you? Unanimously, they said, oh my gosh, it's so different. And here's why. Because it feels so intentional, we take it so personally. So the whole self has to be rebuilt. Confidence, worthiness, trust, belonging, rejection, abandonment, these are huge. And when you rebuild that, you've made meaning out of your experience and you've rebuilt the self. If I were to give you an equation, it would be post-traumatic growth, right? Kind of the upside of that trauma plus rebuilding the self equals a new termite wound, which is now called post-betrayal transformation. The complete and total rebuild after an experience with betrayal. Were you building this process while you were going through um, your own betrayal, the, when your husband went out outside of your marriage, were you thinking about this process of like, where do I start and what steps do I need to take in order to um, transform? And um, what is the term that you use from betrayal to breakthrough? Were you designing this process as you were going through it yourself? Certainly not consciously. No, it was happening. I was, what, what I was doing was implementing everything I was learning. And I guess that coupled with this intense desire just to heal. 
I wasn't willing not to. That whole victim thing just never worked for me. And not even that, you know, I, I, have, four, I have four kids who were looking at me through this. And I, I believe in 100% authenticity. I was never going to lie to them. I was never going to act like everything was fine. And, and in fact, my husband was the one who told them. So if anything is going to have you fall from grace and wake up, it's, you know, having, having your, your kids look at you like you did, you know, you did what? And, and that's going to be a huge wake up call. And certainly that was the case with him. But for, for me, it was just, there was no, there was, there was no way I wasn't facing every dragon, you know, slaying every beast. It was, I was just going right for it because the, the pain of sitting in it was too big. And as I was moving through it, learning, you know, what my study participants were doing, implementing it myself. I remember clients at the time, they were like, how are you doing this? I'm like, I, I don't really know. And it just kind of happened. And when the five stages showed up, the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough, that was the second discovery. I mean, that was, that was a game changer. And I'm happy to go through those if you want. Yes. I was just going to ask you if you can walk us through those five steps. Yeah. So I'll never forget handing my research over to my study chair. And she said, Debbie, I believe you've discovered a process here. And the best part about this was, this was the, the moment that we realized now there's a roadmap to healing. Staying stuck is now a choice. And, and it was, it was so exciting. So again, I mapped them out in, in trust. Again, we teach it within the PBT Institute. All my coaches are certified in it and who teach within the Institute, but briefly here they are. So stage one is like a setup stage. And I saw this with every study participant, me too. If you imagine four legs of a table, the four legs being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. What I saw with everybody was a real heavy lean on the physical and the mental and kind of ignoring the emotional and the spiritual. So what does that look like? Looks like we're really good at thinking and doing and not paying much attention to the feeling and being, but that's where our intuition lies. So often we turn that down. So if you imagine a table with two legs, easy for that table to topple over, that's us. That's not to say if we're just busy thinking and doing, it's a setup for betrayal. It's just what I consistently saw. Stage two, by far the scariest of all of the stages. And this is shock, D-Day, Discovery Day. This is where the person like takes the mask off and says, no, 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 this is who I've been this whole time. And it's the breakdown of the body, the mind, and the worldview. You've ignited the stress response right here. So you're headed for every single stress-related symptom, illness, condition, disease. Your mind is in a complete state of overwhelm and chaos. You cannot wrap your mind around the information you just learned. None of this makes sense. Like it's a weird time thing that's happening now. And your worldview is shattered. Your worldview is your mental model. These are the rules. This is how life works. Trust this person. Don't go there. You know, it's all the rules. And in one moment, all of the rules are destroyed. No longer. No, no more rules. You have no idea where you stand. There is no solid ground. So think about it. If you were walking down the street and the bottom were to bottom out on you, what would you do? You'd grab hold of anything and everything you could to stay safe and stay alive. And that's stage three. Survival instincts emerge. It's the most practical 
of all of the stages. If you can't help me, get out of my way. How do I survive this experience? Who can I trust? Who can I talk to? Where do I go? How do I feed my kids? Like it's that practical. Here's the trap. Stage three is the most common place to get stuck in and here's why. Once you've figured out how to survive, because it feels so much better than the shock and trauma of where you just came from, you think it's good. So you're like, whew, okay, all right, we got this. And you start planting roots here. You're not supposed to stay here, but you have no idea there's a stage four and stage five. So you think this is it. So a few things start happening. Because you're planting roots here, you start getting these small self benefits. You get to be right. You get someone to blame. You get your story. You get a target for your anger. You get sympathy from everybody you tell your story to. You don't have to do the hard work of learning to trust again. Do I trust you? Do I trust you? I forget it. I won't trust anybody. And you start planting deeper roots. Now that you're planting deeper roots, the mind starts doing things like, maybe you deserved it. Maybe you're not all that. Maybe this, maybe that. Deeper roots. Now, because you're here for a while, like energy attracts like energy. So you're attracting circumstances and people and relationships towards you to confirm this is where you belong. It gets worse, but I'll get you out of here. Because it feels so bad, but you have no idea there's anything better waiting for you, right here is where you resign yourself and you say, you know, this stinks, but this is as good as it's getting. So right here is where you start using food, drugs, alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, reckless behavior to numb, avoid, distract yourself from the pain you're, you don't want to feel or face. So think about it. You do that for a day, a week, a month. Now it's a habit. A year, 10 years, 20 years. And I can see someone 20 years out and say, you know, that numbing in front of the TV you're doing or that emotional eating you're doing or that drinking you're doing, do you think that has anything to do with your betrayal? And they'd say to me, are you nuts? That happened 20 years ago. Doesn't matter. Do you see? They stayed stuck in stage three. Anyway, if you're willing to let go of those small self benefits, grieve more than the last few things you need to do, you move to stage four. Stage four is finding and adjusting to a new normal. Here's where you acknowledge, I can't undo my betrayal, but I can control what I do with it. And I always use the example of if you've ever moved to a new house, office, condo, apartment, your stuff's not all there. It's not quite cozy yet, but it's going to be okay. And when you're in that mental space, you start turning down the stress response. So you're not healing just yet, but you, you've stopped causing the massive damage you were causing in stage two and stage three. Also, this is what's so interesting to this stage. If you were to move, you don't take everything with you, right? Like you don't take the stuff that doesn't represent who you want to be when you're in that new space. And what I saw clearly was if your friends weren't there for you, right here's where you don't take them with you. You've just outgrown them. And people say to me all the time, what the heck? I've had these friends forever. Is it me? Yes, it is. You're undergoing a transformation. If they don't step it up, you're done. Anyway, when you're in stage four, you're making it okay. You're making it, you know, home, your mental home. You're making it all right. You move to the fifth most beautiful stage. And this is healing, rebirth, and a new worldview. The body starts to heal. Self-love, self-care, eating well, exercise. You didn't have the bandwidth for that earlier. You were surviving. Now you do. Your mind starts making new rules 
and boundaries based on what you've what you see so clearly now and you have a new worldview based on your entire experience and the four legs of that table remember in the beginning it was the physical and the mental by this point we're solidly grounded because we're focused on the emotional and the spiritual too those are the five stages wow and you mentioned as you as you said here at the end that uh, it is important to have the four legs steady would you say that if a person is more grounded from the beginning, he has a better upbringing, a more con more connection to his spiritual being, being that like maybe a more religious person or someone who has a better education can go through these stages much better. Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily religious. In fact, I saw a lot of people abandoning their religion because their religion wasn't there for them during this time. What I found, though, was they moved towards either the spiritual side of their religion or they abandoned religion, moved towards spirituality. They didn't feel much of anything, moved towards spirituality. And I was really curious about that because that was something that I did, too. And I wondered why that was. And it really made so much sense. They, your, your world has just become completely out of control and chaotic, right? So thinking and connecting with something bigger then you felt like, okay, I have some sort of connection here. Like the world has stopped spinning. The other thing is, you know, we don't trust our betrayer and we don't trust ourselves because we're like, I'm a bright person. How did I not see? How did I not, how did I not know? So we, we venture like, okay, at least I can trust in something bigger, bigger than me. So there was a real move towards, uh, like I said, the spiritual side of religion or spirituality in general. Would you say that, I guess you, you kind of made the point in the book that obviously people can change. Yeah, you've had evidence of that with your husband. Would you say that uh, we need trauma or pain or a crisis to grow as people or like for a relationship to become um, what it really was supposed to be? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good question. I think when it comes to betrayal, with regards to the betrayer, you know, it'll, it'll show you who that person really is or who they temporarily became. I've seen it both ways. And, and what I've seen is, yes, crisis is the setup for transformation. It just is. It makes it so easy. Although you don't necessarily need the crisis. You know, I remember writing in my other, one of my other books, The Unshakable Woman, I talk about the self-induced life crisis and the life crisis. The life crisis is like uh, death of a loved one, disease, natural disaster, uh, you know, betrayal, financial crisis, something that rocks your world, right? But there's, there's also like a self-induced life crisis where you're bringing it on. And this is decision. This is You know, this is the day you pack your bags, the day you throw out the cookies, the day you join the gym, the day you make the doctor's appointment, the day you have that difficult conversation that day. And everybody in, around you knows you're not playing, right? And that's just as effective. And people think change takes time. I disagree. I, I think seeing the effect of change takes time. Change happened in that moment. So, you know, I look at it like, You can, you can prevent the life crisis or you can bring it on yourself, you know, or you can, or it can happen either way. They're brilliant opportunities 
to become someone you never would have had access to had that not happened. Would you say that as as well as a mother of four and also a successful entrepreneur and a, a accomplished person that your your resilience is the consequence of all the adversities that you've gone through or is it more your upbringing? Yeah. Well, you you know, I've had unfortunately or fortunately many opportunities to test my strength. And I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt had this amazing quote, something like you want to know how strong a, a woman is like a tea bag. How strong she is, put her in hot water, right? Like unfortunately, my tea bag self has been in hot water many, many, many times. You know, in the in the form of just all kinds of craziness. All but then I look at it and I either can be the best victim ever, you know, who has this great story about all the times and all the people who've done me wrong, or I can look at it and say, okay, obviously this stuff is coming to me. And if I can uh, heal from it, bounce back from it, learn something from it and teach it, trauma well served. So I want to go back quickly to the spirituality aspect of it and how that really helped you did that was that the first um resource I guess for lack of a better word was that what you turned to when you were first dealing with the crisis it, it, you know for for me it was it if not the most important up there with the most important for sure because for the logical mind and on a human perspective betrayal makes no sense it's, you know, you're trying to make sense of the senseless, right? It's, it's like, think about it. It's like forgiveness. The person who hurt you, harmed you, did something hurtful, harmful, hateful, and forgiveness says forgive. And you're like, what? You know, because it has nothing to do with the other person. So you, when you go about it just through the logical mind or through the ego, you, you, you can't, you can't get past the betrayal. You just, it's impossible. But what spirituality did for me was gave me the questions of what if there's a reason for this? What if something really good can happen from something really bad? What if you're meant, you know, for more and this was the shakeup you needed? And and I didn't trust any of these crazy thoughts I was thinking. So actually I went to um, a, a spiritual counselor and we've since become dear friends. And I remember walking in on my, you know, first appointment, I didn't even sit down and she just starts laughing. And she's like, oh my gosh, how you two planned this. I was like, what did you just say? <laughs> and she said, you know, yeah, yeah. He needed something so catastrophic to crash and burn so he can become the husband, father, friend he's really meant to be. You, you needed to crash and burn so you can heal and then teach from this deep, deep, profound place of knowing. You're going to have an institute. You're going to write books about betrayal. You're going to have this big following around betrayal. And I'm like, you're crazy. And of course, you know, what she said happened. So there's something, there's something that maybe we just don't all understand and can't all see. And there was something about um, just inviting the question of what if she's right? Mm. I, I want to also bring the fact that you've written, of course, 
not only Trust Again, mm -hmm. but also you've written The Unshakable Woman, which is also another book that I'm interested in, in reading. I personally, I aspire to become an author at some point and, and continue writing. But do you feel that do you have a, a sense of purpose early on in your life that wanted you made you want to become an author and then also that got more powerful later on as your life progressed and, and you faced all those crises? You know, I, I've found that the books just kind of happen when they're supposed to. Like my first book, I mean, this was in 2007, 2008, and it was the, you know, it was the lifestyle fitness program, a six part plan. So every mom can look, feel and live her best. And I remember writing that book in two and a half weeks and um, it flew out of me. And it was because I thought I started with a strong background in health and I really thought I was taught and I believed Well, if you eat well and exercise, that's all you need. I couldn't have been more wrong because I was eating well and exercising, but the stress in my life and the toxic relationships that I had caused me to have symptoms, illnesses, conditions, diseases that I never should have. So when I learned that, I thought I found the key to everything and that book couldn't come out of me fast enough. And then it's funny, my, my, that was my first one. My, and then my second book uh, was A Pocket Full of Mojo. And, uh, and this was because... Uh, I was doing a tremendous amount of speaking and the guys were like, what about us? What about like, you know, there's so many tips you always talk about. So that was just 365 health, you know, tips and health and, and life and strategy. And that was great. And then, um, yeah, the unshakable woman and then the unshakable woman workbook to dive in even deeper and trust again. And, and now I'm working on my next one. Wow. That's amazing. Do you have any advice for other mothers out there who might have suffered a similar situation, similar crisis of uh, betrayal, um, maybe uh, abandonment or cheating? Or even micro, micro betrayals. Like you right. said, there, you know, there's such a grand scale of whether they're massive betrayals or very small ones that add up. Absolutely. I, I would tell, so you want to know specifically for a mom. Yeah. You know, a mom is so conditioned to put herself last and deal with herself if, and when, you know, once everybody else is cared for if, and then of course, by that time, there's no time energy or anything left. Uh, but I would, the, the most important thing is I'd want any mom or anybody who's been betrayed to know um, you're not crazy. You're not alone and you can heal from all of it. And, and I would also want her to know, even though it happened to you, It's not about you. It's really not. Hard thing to understand in the beginning, but it's true. Right. Yeah, that's right. This was a wonderful conversation. It and was. we really appreciate how graciously you've given your time for listeners to listen and And, and also learn. all the work that you've been doing exactly. on yourself in order to help so many other people, not just mothers, but other people who are going through betrayal and transforming from that point on. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to, to know anything you want to, to plug? Um, well, you know what? I would invite them all to take the post betrayal syndrome quiz to see to what extent they were struggling. They're struggling. That's, that was actually the third discovery. There's a collection of symptoms so common to betrayal. It's now known as post-betrayal syndrome. So that quiz shows you to what extent you're struggling. And they can just find that at the PBT, as in post-betrayal transformation, the PBT forward slash quiz. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. Excellent. And where can people reach out to you or learn more about your work? Yeah. I mean, I really recommend to take the quiz. That's a great place to start. And also, you know, to get the book, instead of just going to Amazon, um, I would so much rather them come to this link because then they can come back and get all kinds of bonuses. So that's thepbtinstitute.com forward slash trust again. Excellent. 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 Well, thank you so much, Dr. Debbie. It's been a real pleasure sitting down with you. We really appreciate your flexibility since we're on opposite sides of the world. Yeah. And we have gained a lot out of this conversation and really look forward to reading your books. Yeah, we definitely recommend everyone to read the book and and, uh, learn from, like, give importance to something that maybe some people are dismissing, like betrayals to something that you need to Mm -hmm. dismiss. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.